In this episode, I'll be talking with Dressage Naturally licensed instructor Michelle Young. Michelle is a popular instructor and trainer. She specializes in dressage, healthy biomechanics, foundational training, and young horse development. In this episode, we'll talk about some of the common challenges she sees students having, and she'll explain how to help move through those challenges. Michelle says her mission is to help horses and the people who love them find more relaxation and connection, to create confident horses and empowered students, to educate both horse and rider to find healthy movement and mental peace, and to inspire students to better themselves and help horses live happier, healthier lives. So here we go. Episode 94 with Michelle Young. I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. All right. Hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to join you. Yeah. So I think um, I'd love to start by just having you tell a little bit about your story, your background, and what led you ultimately to find dressage naturally yeah well I guess my story really starts right in the beginning when I got my first horse um this horse was chosen as a a dressage horse for me I actually started out in dressage lessons and uh, I guess she was good for dressage but she wasn't so good for an 11 year old first horse and uh yeah, so <laughs> that was the start. Uh, she was she was a lovely mare, but uh, by the end of the first summer, I was having a lot of, I know now, they were horsemanship challenges. I was too scared to ride her. I couldn't go anywhere. There was all sorts of behavior challenges. And so I look back now and I am thankful for that uh, experience because in the very beginning, it led me directly into uh, a path of horsemanship. So my, uh, my mom at the time, of course, was helping me a lot. And so she went on the, on the internet and started looking for a solution because this, we didn't want to give up on this horse. We really, you know, I was really in love with her and I knew that there, there had to be a better way of dealing with the challenges. So uh, I do feel really thankful to her that <laughs> that got us on the path right away. My mom found uh, Prelly probably natural horsemanship and she ordered some of the old you know VHS tapes and (laughs) audio tapes and we got started with that so that was I guess that was around 11 or or 12 years old that I actually started with uh, an interest in in the natural horsemanship and it just sort of it, it grew from there where I grew up I didn't have a lot of access to trainers. I didn't have weekly riding lessons or anything like that. And so I, I really relied on any information that I could pick up from that and uh, clinicians that would come in. So I started working with uh, a woman that would come into our area about three times a year after that. And she did a 
she actually did a blend of uh, horsemanship and dressage and she was really wonderful and taught me a lot of really key foundational pieces how to think of all the safety things how to start young horses how to ground drive horses all these things that um, have paid off a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> nowadays and uh, so that that's kind of it's an interesting one for me because I didn't really some people's story you know they they had a whole background of traditional riding and then they they found horsemanship at some point and then they made a change whereas for me I felt like it kind of started that way due to the horse that I had and then I just found I was really keen on learning to train so that was my thing I was just obsessed with how can I how can I change a behavior train the horse how can I achieve that next goal that I wanted to have Uh, I didn't compete when I was younger I did I did some local demos as things grew um, my horsemanship skills grew I was really into the idea of riding bridalists and that was like my big bridalists and liberty that was my goal for a really long time so I did around 16 17 years old I did end up doing some some demos around that and continued to continued to work with this trainer and it was actually her initially that uh, I just probably close to nine or 10 years ago now that she actually was the one that says, Hey, have you heard of Karen Wolf and dressage naturally? Oh, wow. You know, she's, she's <laughs> doing a blend of them. You should check, you should check her out. I think you'd really like it. And so I, I actually remember her saying that to me. And that was, like I said, quite a while ago. So um, I don't know whether I did pursue it right away, but I remember her saying that and um at the time I was working with, uh, I had started working pretty heavily with another, another trainer, Jonathan Field, who I know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and uh, I was really, I was really like full, full into it after that. I, I had finished high school and I was starting to uh, actually teach and train full time pretty much right away out of high school and training my own horses, starting to train other people's horses, starting to teach, uh, more and more. And at that point, I I sort of shifted and I started working with Jonathan a lot doing a lot of clinics, a lot of camps, um, apprenticing. And um, that's actually how I met you for the first time was he had you up to his ranch and uh, we did a clinic together. So everything just kind of everything built one step on the next. Um, But before I guess before I had met you in person at the ranch, it was not long, uh, I don't know, not long after my first trainer there had mentioned it, I signed up for the Sweet Spot course. And uh, so that was probably eight or nine years ago. And that was my introduction to this whole idea of healthy biomechanics. And I remember really thinking about it a lot and becoming really curious I'd watch my horses move in the round pen and I'd try to get them to stretch and use the different tools that I was starting to have from the sweet spot course and then it was great to uh, get to meet you through Jonathan and and start combining a lot of these things that I was learning and so from there I I basically continued working I, I worked with Jonathan for for 10 years and then I, uh, I continued to do the, the online resources with you, the, the Sweet Spot course, mm-hmm. the 
the horsemanship course. And um, whenever I could, I would uh, try to try to do some in-person learning as well. So that that kind of that kind of grew up until more recently when I uh, I joined the I joined the mastermind program and I'd say that's when I really started to go even deeper into the dressage naturally and just really looking at my whole business, my whole life. And it kind of um, became more and more something that I was really interested in Mm -hmm. pursuing. And I really loved the whole, the whole approach. It just really spoke to me. And so of course I was, I was pretty uh, thrilled to be asked to be an instructor and I feel like my whole, my whole journey up until that point was really <laughs> leading me towards it. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, going back to that first horse, I'm just really thankful that I got started off with, I guess in a way, a, a quote, you know, difficult horse, but she, she didn't allow me to just take a normal path. I had to take a step back and learn some of those things right away. And so that's really what led me. I think that's really what started started me on the path where I am now. So I am very thankful for yeah. that, and thankful for where where I am now with uh, all the uh, great opportunities and everything yeah. that we're we're working on. So yeah, well, yeah, your story is like it's a story of um, looking looking for opportunities and maximizing it. You know from there's a lot of kids who get challenging horses and it doesn't end up in the same story that you just described, right? It's like, Oh, well I got bucked off or I got hurt or, you know, found this, you know, more forceful methods. And, you know, so I just, I love that all along the way, and I'm sure your mother was a great big influence on this at that moment. Cause she's like, Hey, <laughs> this needs to be different. And that you got exposed to that so early. And, yeah, I you know I know Jonathan Field well. Um, met him when I was um, first learning Pirelli and spent some time with them. And you know your name would come up, you know, because he knew you were interested in dressage also. And uh, just nothing but wonderful things to say about you. And then yeah, when you took the the mastermind program, which for listeners is is not so much about dressage naturally, but it's about helping heart centered um, horse professionals really thrive. Uh, and it's my way of making sure that, you know, we uplevel the kind of professional that is succeeding in the horse world, the ones that put horses first. And to see um, Michelle's sort of level of professionalism and integrity and desire and, you know, everything she's trying to create. And, you know, then you would show up at clinics like in the Netherlands. <laughs> like, I'm teaching in the Netherlands and there's Michelle on a horse, you know. So, um, all those things together gave me a, a really good picture of of your skill level and, and who you are as a person. And I was proud to have you on board as the newest and youngest dressage naturally instructor <laughs> at the at the time of making this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm curious a little bit, like, what was the challenge with that first horse? Like, what exactly was was the difficult piece? Um, well, really, the difficult piece was that she was um, very what we call hot. And the main thing is that she she was super herd bound, like extremely mm-hmm. herd bound. And it, 
it should have been a sign, which my mom and I, of course, didn't know at the time when we were purchasing her, that they had to take the gelding with her to the arena for me to ride her oh. and keep him with her all the time, which now would be a red flag. But I didn't know that right. at the time, obviously. So she was extremely herd bound. And so where I where I started riding, I was a half hour on the trail to get to my lesson. So I have uh, distinct memories of my poor mother um, holding the reins, uh, getting drugged through the bush as she's jigging sideways down the trail, trying to get to my dressage lesson. Of course, it never occurred to me at the time that I didn't have to ride her. (laughs) You you could do it on the ground, but I didn't know that. You just rode horses, right? So, (laughs) yeah, so that was that was a it was a big learning of how to handle handle that jigging on the trail like it was severe jigging on the trail and then of course that that anxiety and herd boundness and her led into all sorts of other things but uh, I'm happy to say that I didn't I didn't keep her forever but I did make a really big change with her we we really got through a lot of that stuff to a much better place um, before I before I found her next uh, her next home so Nice. Yeah, it was quite the quite the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a great experience as a kid just to even just to look at the horse in that way and go, you know, I need more information and to find things that are more about the relationship. So I think, you know, things like that can yeah. have a big influence on our lives, not just our horsemanship, right? So many kids are being told to tie up their horses and, you know, and that's got to affect the kind of people they turn into. So I think it turned out pretty, pretty good so far, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Good, good on your, your well, mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, that's, that's what I really have to say. Cause at the time I didn't know. So it's, it was yeah. really my, my mom and the support of both of my parents all the way through. They always prioritized, like there's gotta be a good way of doing this. And they always prioritized my education. They always made, made time and money for that, even though it wasn't necessarily easy for us to do. So it's yeah. certainly a, a massive part of where I am now. That's awesome. Cool. Well, what, um, what were the pieces that really attracted you to, to the dressage naturally kind of philosophy or way of doing things? Mm, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah like how do I put that in a couple of sentences but yeah that there was a lot of there's a lot of things that I feel like resonated with me um one of the main things is just it, it there's something about it that you get you get great information you get great skills but it's not it doesn't have this rigidness to it it feels like there's there's an openness to the program and it isn't just like this is the system and you have to follow it exactly this way um so it really as a as a student because i still am a student and that's been you know most of my experience it just felt like freedom to explore different possibilities um Mm -hmm. but at the same time this this guidance of like, well, check in with these things, check in with those things, but it came back to trusting your instincts. It came back to going, Hey, I, I can try this and that. And then I'll probably feel when it's, when it's better. And to sort of, you know, right from the beginning, your, um, your way of, your way of teaching helps the student feel like they, 
um, that they are a part of it and that they like how, how they feel or what their experience is, is important. And that actually we use that as a guide, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel like it matters? Um, and then of course, putting the horse, the horse first, um, really focusing on the, the, you know, I really aligned with your way of the whole horse health approach, you know, from the way you take care of their feet right. to the healthy biomechanics. It just, it just really spoke to me from everything that I had experienced that we have to think of all of those areas, the mental, the physical, right? Like not just, uh, one or the other. And, um, so yeah, that was really, I think those are the main, the main pieces for me, but it's this way of, it's this way of being able to learn. And I think just setting, setting it up, you just feel like you have tools, but you're listening to yourself as the guidance through that, if that makes yeah. sense. So. Yeah, well, it does to me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just always curious, because you know, <laughs> I know the things that feel important to me, but the, you know, for me, the, the horses are listening to their humans. And I think so many times there's like a system and then the humans like trying to do the system to get the horse to do what it's supposed to do. But there's this disconnect. It's like, you know, and really the the person needs to be the communicator and needs to be the confident one. And even if they get the technique wrong, if they're listening to the horse and responding to the horse in the moment, it'll, it'll still work (laughs) because the horse needs that human to be confident and to be yes, or, Oh, let me show you this. And then, then so many more techniques, you know, those, the technical pieces can work. So yeah, that empowerment piece sure is important to me. (laughs) It's what makes everything I think work or not work. Um, so you, you told a bit about your story, um, but maybe have there been any sort of transformative moments in your horsemanship? Um, it seems like the first moment was very transformative, but then as you've gone along this path, have there been any moments where you've shifted maybe because of another horse or maybe just um, as a natural progression from what you're learning? Yeah, well, one one comes to mind right away, and that is uh, a shift for me from kind of coming from a mindset that positive reinforcement, specifically using food rewards, was like, you don't really do that. It was just something that I kind of, um, just from everything I'd seen at the time, that was kind of how I did things, and it wasn't... It just wasn't something that I used in my training. I didn't think it was really, really bad, but I wasn't, I wasn't using it. I wasn't going to it. So I mostly was just using, um, you know, pressure and release and, you know, different levels of release, but I wasn't really thinking as much about the, you know, what can I add, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And positive reinforcement, we're, we're adding something. And so of course that doesn't just have to be food, but, um, there was a time where I was starting to, to do both more. So this is going back probably maybe four years ago now, mm-hmm. I would say that I was starting to be like, hmm, you know what, like, of course, following a lot of your resources and your courses, I was really like getting a lot more curious about it. I'm like, actually, it looks, 
actually looks really powerful and I maybe my thoughts on it are not true. Like maybe those things you hear about using food, maybe they're not actually true what I think, right? Like that it's mm-hmm. it's like not this, you know, <laughs> that you don't get the same result or that the horses are going to be pushy or that it's not this, you know, things I would hear is that, oh, you're not going to have a real connection because it's about the food instead things like that. So I started questioning, is that really true? And I started experimenting more with, okay, well, let's try it. And I was definitely having, I was trying my own experiments because I trained a lot, you know, I trained a lot of different horses and they were all a bit different. So I would just bring some of those exercises in. And instead of just releasing, I would add the reward as well. Mm -hmm. And I started really saying, wow, this is this is cool. Like, this is not just not bad. It's actually really good. And the horses are responding way more than I even thought they would. And around that time, I met, uh, I met a student, lovely student, and she had a horse that was, you know, when I first met him, I thought, okay, you know, it's pretty typical beginning stuff. A lot of lessons that I start with, I do a lot of foundational training. So we often start with setting boundaries and just clearing up the communication and getting the human to be clearer with the horse and all of those types of things. So I thought when I, when I entered that relationship, that's kind of what I was going in thinking, but it became clear pretty quickly that this horse was not, was not your average horse with those things. He was, he was really needing some help. And so over time, I had to end up doing more and more of the training with him because he was actually dangerous. He was really dangerous. Um, Or he had the potential to be dangerous. And uh, so he was was a Frisian and he just held so much tension and he was in an environment that wasn't, um, wasn't the best for him. It was a stressful environment. So Thankfully, you know, the reason that it allowed me to do this is his owner was was really on board and really understanding. So we actually ended up changing his environment, putting him somewhere he could live more like a horse. And around that time, I started going, I've got to do something different. (laughs) Like, what I normally do is not really working. Like, I can manage him because I'm good with those skills. I could manage him, but I'm like, I don't want to have to manage him. And everything was no. It was like, know this, know that, don't push on me, don't do this, don't spook, don't, everything felt like a no, and he was already so tense, and you just even watch him in his pen, and he seemed to be holding things, you know, so it's like, when I come in, all I start saying is no, because he's out there seeking, seeking some sort of uh, leadership or connection or something he's seeking, so... I remember the day distinctly that I said to her, I said, you know, Leah, um, (laughs) I want to start using, uh, I want to start using treats with Jackson. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure if she's listening, you know, if she listens to this, I'm pretty sure she'll be more than okay with me telling this story because um, it was very, it was a very interesting process. I said, I want to use treats with him. And she kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? Because this horse would bite. Um, and kind of like run people over and like mm-hmm. come full force at you. And so it really, from the, the old way of looking at things, was not a good decision to use food with him because everyone would think you're just going to make him bite more and push on you more. But I said to her, I know, I know it sounds kind of like 
crazy to do this, but I said, I have an idea. I have a way of doing it. I'm not going to hand feed him. I said, like, I know that he's not ready for that right now. And so I really went back to doing Liberty only just in his pen. I stopped catching him because even trying to halter him, he'd be trying to grab everything. And it was like, let's reset. So I do some of the dressage naturally exercises foot in the bucket. I just Mm -hmm. started with, you know, helping him have something he could be successful at something really simple, like put your foot in the bucket and then you win. And I would, I would have a bunch of carrots in my pocket and I had good enough boundaries that I could tell him not to, not to push on me. Right. It was Mm -hmm. good enough. Um, And I would throw him a carrot and he would have to, you know, take his mind off other things, put his head down, find the carrot, chew on it. And, um sometimes he'd even have to back up to get the carrot so it was like actually creating the boundaries to be better without even um needing to add any pressure and so right there when I started to see that change with him and he got he got much easier to work with I no longer had to keep going stop and back up and setting all these big boundaries I would just look at him and I'd say can you do your backup thing you know remember give me space and then you get the reward and it was like a totally different horse and from there I was able to take the bucket and the rewards and I would put that he was really scared of all the corners of the arena so I'd put that in each corner of the arena (laughs) and we'd start to go I know you don't want to go over there but guess what the bucket's over there and then the rewards over there and it just it literally changed everything and there was still challenges with him he he had you know, obviously some reasons why he felt that way, some physical reasons why, um, but it was even hard to get the vet to look at him. So this really allowed a doorway into a totally different relationship. And that for me, after, after going through that with him, it made me go, go, okay, this is, this is part of what I do now. Like this is powerful. It's part of what I do. So I, I think that's a, that's a pretty key moment that will always stand out for me. And, and now I definitely do use positive reinforcement and in a variety of ways, of course you, it's not going to be the same for every horse. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's usually a way you can bring it in. And if you're really aware and you're um, really thinking about, you know, what you do want to reward because it is powerful, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought this up because this really, um, speaks to the the kind of openness of this dressage naturally system that's not really a system, right? But it's it's you you mentioned so many things of just like the holistic view, you know, just looking at how he is just by himself in the pen, and looking at you know how he's starting before we even go try to put a halter on or something, and just using tools that work. And there's so many techniques that can work out there. And a lot of times people get the like, well, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. And then you go somewhere else. It's like, no, this is the right way. And that's the wrong way. And what I really encourage people to do is like, look at the cause and effect. Here's a tool. What's it used for? You know, when does it, what situations does it work the best in? What are the risks and pitfalls to watch out for? And then how can you navigate that and have access to this tool and, and, this positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, these are two camps that tend to be a little bit far away from each other. And it's you have to be in either one camp or the other. And this is um, 
one of my next passions that I'm really wanting to share knowledge because we really need to use all the tools. And that was such a great example because there is a way to do positive reinforcement where, like you said, it can actually get them better about boundaries. (laughs) Food is very motivating. So like, you know, my horses have to go away when they see, you know, when they see treats at feeding time, they go away from me and they happily, they're like, well, I'm going to go over here because that's when I get the food, <laughs> you know? So I yeah. love that story and just the creativity, you know, Hey, I'm looking at myself, the stuff that I am doing that usually works, isn't working with this horse. What else can I do? And, and that curiosity to just think for a second and go, Maybe I don't need to just get stronger because this is a dumb horse. Maybe this horse needs something else. And and to be open to, to just saying to yourself, my stuff's not working. <laughs> what else can I do? I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, with a horse that, like, of course, it works so great with so many. But the horse, the last horse people would think of using food with. And I think that's why I like telling that story because <sighs> it was like, yeah, don't get so locked in just one way of thinking of doing something because I wasn't, I didn't think hand feeding them was good. But guess what? There's a way of, you know, there was there was flexibility within that, right? And it's like, okay, how how can I make things more positive? I think that's where, where it really came from because I'm like, this whole horse's life is, he's tense, he's got health issues, you know, we have to interact with him, how can I make more of those yes moments, right? That's another thing I just love about dressage naturally. And is those, those moments where it's like 100% yes. And there's, it, it helps so much in teaching, but there's, there's a feeling that goes with that. That is, it's just, you feel it through your whole body. And I think the horses do too. And I could never really find those moments with him, you'd, you'd, um, you know, move him off the pressure, and then he'd just lean right back on it again. It would, there was no, there was like a mini release, because you just got out of the situation. But there was no like, yes, oh, we're good, we're here. Um, so I think I needed a way to find those moments with him. And that, that opened the door. And then it was like, a, a definitely a positive spiral from that point on. So cool. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one-week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. What, What do you feel are some 
common challenges that you see your students having? Are there are there any themes that you yes. see coming up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a few. <laughs> um, I would say one of the big ones for me, because again, I do I do do a lot of I, you know foundational training. I do um, I do teach, of course, the the dressage naturally and all of that as well. But so often, when I first start with a student, they need help with those basic foundational pieces, mm-hmm. and sort of just shifting their way of thinking about horses. I think that's so much uh, more important than the the exercises or the techniques. It's like, how are you thinking about the approach? So a common thing that comes up, especially in the beginning when, when students are just starting to learn more about this way of doing things, but it, it can still stick, stick out there in a, in a minor way for a long time, you know, and even I'll, you know, I can even catch myself occasionally too, but I think it's this idea of not wanting to be firm or set boundaries with horses because they want to be, you know, in quotes, nice, right? I don't want to move him away. I don't want to be firmer. I don't want to say no. And, you know, especially if it involves using the stick at all in any kind of way or anything that they perceive as possibly negative, um, and so, and I, I always say to my students, I say, like, I totally understand where that's coming from. And I, that's what I love about you because, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the type of students that are attracted to what we do, they tend to be more like that. They're, they're so much thinking about the horse's experience uh, and they're going to, they're going to want to be careful with anything that could be, right. you know, could be too much. It could be negative. So I say to them, you know, that's, that's totally normal that you feel that way. Most people like you do, and it's good. It's good to feel that way. But here's the thing. At some point, you're going to start seeing that when you're not clear, right, if you're not willing to follow through on something, and then you can't really be clear, well, then what's the what's the side effect of not being not finding clarity with a horse is that they don't they don't really get the message you were trying to say and then you don't get what I was talking about before you don't get the yes moment where you're like both like yes that was it and it could be from the most simple thing or or a more complex thing you just don't get to that point and it leaves the conversation uh, a little bit sticky (laughs) I guess that's my best way of saying it it's like it leaves the conversation sticky um and the student you know, this, this also connects back with like trusting your instincts. The student feels it too. Like they kind of know it was like, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, that's the noise I make. Right. <laughs> that's yep. kind of where it, it, it gets left. And, and so the student feels it, the horse feels it. And that's really what I, what I tried to go on. And this idea, like I've heard you say, you know, if you can't say no, clearly you can't say yes. Like if you don't say no to something, you can't say yes to something else. So we want to focus on the yes, but to get to the yes, we have to be able to follow through to whatever that horse, you know, required in that moment, if it was fair, reasonable, possible, right? So if, if what you're asking is fair, reasonable, possible, then we have to be able to follow through uh, follow through to a hundred percent so that we get to that clarity. Um, so that's a really, that's a really common one. And that the horses, 
um, getting the getting people to realize that the horses appreciate this so much. They're going to be more relaxed. They're going to be more connected to you. They're going to feel safer with you if you can provide this clarity for them. Uh, as a and it actually in the big picture, it's kinder. It's nicer to handle a horse in that way. As long as you're asking fair, reasonable, possible things, and you're consistent in your approach. In the beginning, it's going to feel a little bit hard because you're not used to setting boundaries with the horse. You're not used to being like, hey, I asked you to go (laughs) now (laughs) and I think you can do it. And you know what? I'm going to follow through on that, but I promise there's something good on the other side of it. And that's how these things really tie together. It's like, yeah, I am going to ask you to do that. And guess what? When you get over there, it's going to be good. And there's going to be the yeah. reward and I'm going to focus on both ends, not just, Hey, you better move or I have a stick. <laughs> you know, like, right. So right. it's the way of approaching that that's important because it could be taken, it could be taken in another direction, of course. So, yeah. So yeah, no, that's, that that's is, a, that's a huge, that's a common huge common thing. Yep. And I think you expressed that really well. And, and that negotiation, you know, oh, I think also what's important is that we, we see it, we practice this in the very simple things, the very simple things, you know, I'm just asking you to move over a little bit when I'm grooming you. Um, because otherwise that negotiation of space is such a horse thing to do. They are masters of that. And they are, they are keeping a little bit of score because that's what they do with each other all the time. And, you know, I put, I turned my three girls out this afternoon and when they went back into their area, there were two hay nets next to each other. And so Solana went over to one, Cora went over to the other. And then I see Natia looking and she's like, I really like that hay net. And she comes over and Solana sees it coming, looks at Cora moves her ears like two degrees, Cora backs up, gets out of the way, Natia goes and gets the hay net, Cora goes to the other side, looks at Solana, Solana moves over and gives her the other side of her hay net. I'm like, there was some negative reinforcement and some positive reinforcement. And Solana worked (laughs) out the whole thing. Like, she just was like the chaperone. She's like, Cora, move out of the way, give Natia the hay net, come over here. Good girl, I'll let you eat off of this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was thinking that was so beautiful. And I'm watching Cora do this beautiful rain back and then move over and yield into the other side. And I'm like, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> it's just clear, non-negotiable yeah. with lots of, with some positive reinforcement at the end. <laughs> so funny. Super um, cool. Any, yeah. <laughs> Anything else of the common challenges? I know you said you had a few. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one, I, I feel like this one is very tied in with the, what, the other things we've been talking about, so it's probably worth mentioning, is that uh, another thing I see students doing is that they say that they're given an exercise or a, a task to do with the horse that, again, coming back to, the type of students that are attracted to what we do, they tend to go to self-doubt first, mm. right? They tend to go, oh, it was probably me. Oh, I didn't do it right. Oh, and they kind of have, I see it happen a lot where I'm like, oh, just stick with it. You know, you're, you're so <laughs> close. And then they kind of give up a little bit on themselves because they, they go to thinking, I'm not doing the technique right. So it kind of comes back to like doing the right technique kind of, 
that sort of feeling where we we think that if you don't get it 100% the way that maybe I showed them that they can't do it. And so um, often I'm, I'm seeing this sort of like they'll they'll quit a little too soon. They won't stick with their own plan because they think, oh, my reins weren't right or my this wasn't right or I'm, I did it wrong, didn't I? I'm like, no, like it was good enough. It wasn't the way I was doing it, but like just just however you need to get it done, just stick with it. So, I mean, that's connected to, I would say, fall, you know, the idea of following through on something. Mm-hmm. And it's also connected to trusting your feeling right? So uh, often they just kind of go, oh, I'm, you know, it's me, I'm not a good rider, it's this or it's that, right? And and that's not true. You know, most of the time, that's, that's really not what it's about. And a good rider is part of being a good rider is, is being like, hey, here's what I asked for and continuing going with it. So I think that that self doubt, which I mean, I can certainly relate to myself. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard not to go there, absolutely. Um, but once you decide to do something, to start something, try to stick it through to the other side, it, you know, for your horse's sake too, because they're there watching you, waiting for information. And then when you're constantly thinking about, oh, I'm not right. I didn't do this right. The wrong position. This. Maybe that. Maybe that. Then again, it kind of leaves your horse going, "Hey, I was." I was listening, I was trying, you know, so, so it's just, even if you're like, ah, this is messier than I wanted it to be, (laughs) just sticking with it to the other side. And then you can step back and go, okay, you know, maybe I could have done things differently, but I got through it. You know, um, again, you don't have to have perfect technique to be able to do something. Uh, that's the incredible mm-hmm. thing about horses. They're, they're such incredible learners. So they can watch the way you're doing it and figure it out. It's more about that getting what you're, what's in your mind clearly through your body and then sticking with the communication, adjusting as you need to. And then, of course, rewarding when you get that try at the end. So that's, a, that's another one. But I think that's very connected to the other things I was saying. No, it is. But I think that was worth talking about in that way, because it's this blend of like, yeah, we want to look at our horse. And if it's not working, we look to ourselves. And you're right. I think dressage naturally attracts people who are a little on the humble side and and will we'll say, well, it must be me because my horse is perfect, you know. But there's it goes yeah. back to what I was saying about the horse only cares about the dynamic between them and their human. They're like, well, what do you want me to do? And Sometimes, like, for example, if people are doing, you know, having trouble with their canter departs or something like that, and they're like, well, I'm not perfect and I have to do this. I'm like, listen, people can ride side saddle and pick up both leads. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> it's not because you're not perfectly balanced. It's because you need to, they need to follow through and go, am I, am I in the ballpark? Right. Or am I, if you're doing something that's actively preventing the horse from doing it, then we got to change that. But if you're in the ballpark, you got to be like, listen, horse, when I say this, this is what I mean. <laughs> and I need you to understand it and that communication, because you can teach your horse anything. You could teach your horse to half pass if you touch its left ear, you know, if you're clear. <laughs> so and the, all the horses, totally. I think the horses are just going, what do you want me to do? And to, yeah, do that follow through and just go, OK, this might not be the way it's written in the textbook, but this is how, this is what I mean, horse. And probably somewhere 
there's a book that says that's how you do it because there's so many books that have conflicting aids. This book says you'd put your weight on this side. This book says you'd put your weight on that side. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> they both can work. <laughs> you just have to exactly yeah, follow through. That's awesome. I find, I find in teaching the sweet spot clinic, you know, there's, there's so many moments like that where maybe we're working on one of the exercises around a specific number and it's like, okay, pick the number of the energy, you know? And then they're like, I don't know. Do you think this is it? And it's like, it doesn't matter what I think, right? <laughs> it kind of comes back to that. Like it doesn't, it, it's your number. It's your, you know, you, you know what feels good and what doesn't feel good. You mm -hmm. know, when it was there and when it wasn't. And that's, I just love, I love that course. And I love that clinic for that, because as an instructor, it's actually so fun to watch that part change yeah. through the progression where they're like, okay, this is what I, I know it, I got it, I, this, that, yeah. and um, it ties in, it ties in exactly with that, with thinking that, you know, the instructors got all the answers. And sometimes I'm like, doesn't matter what my opinion is right now. It matters more how you and your horse feel together. Exactly. And I think, you know, going back to your initial question about what do I love about dressage naturally? And that's, that's just such a big, a big piece of it is that, you know, I guess it's empowerment, right? But it's, it's just helping the the horse and rider become clear and they realize, Oh, I have all these tools. If I just, if I just can do that and be clear on simple things, I actually already have all these tools. I don't need fancy aids and fancy amount of training. I, I already have these in my, in my wheelhouse. I just have to utilize them better and trust, trust that piece better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that number exercise. I, I think it's, it's fun when, um, I'll ask a student, what number would you like your horse to do? I ask that question, and then they're like, well, I mean, yesterday it was kind of a six, but then sort of the five kind of felt, I think, something like a five. And I go, I'm a human, and we speak the same language, and I still <laughs> don't know what number you're asking for. Like, imagine if your horse, even if yours wanted to, how is he going to know what you want? And so just the, to change from that to going, you know, hey, Susie, what number would you like? And they're like, six. <laughs> like, yes, mm -hmm. now we can try to achieve that. But yeah, and I think so many times students are thinking, is that the right? Is that what I should say? Is that the right number? You know, they're afraid of being wrong. And just to give people permission to go, it's not right or wrong. It's just pick one. <laughs> Let's start yeah. there. Pick one, pick an easy one. And we'll go from there. <laughs> All right. I think we have time for, for one more. Do you have one more? Yeah, I do. I, awesome. I do. Um, so this one is uh, a lesson, a lesson that I've, I've learned really strongly from, from Jonathan Field. And he talks about this idea of the pond, the lake, and the ocean. And so I just starting with that so you understand where I'm saying with, uh, you know, another common challenge I see with students is that they they either don't think of it this way or they kind of skip past some of those pieces. So the idea is that we got to learn to swim in the pond first, obviously, before we're swimming in the ocean. And this is a, you know, an analogy for, you know, what is our horse ready for or even ourselves? Um, so a lot of the time challenges that a horse or a student are facing are to do with this. It's because you're in the ocean 
trying to do something in the ocean situation <laughs> that doesn't really work in the pond yet. Right. So you're out there in the big waves and your horse is, you know, for your horse, it can feel like you didn't have swimming lessons and now you're in the ocean and that's a scary feeling. And so if we think about, um, if we think about it that way, it can really, it can really help. But I do, I do see that happen a lot. And, you know, a great example is taking a horse, taking a horse to a show or to a clinic, right? If, if your pond uh, connection or communication is not really there. If it's only uh, environmental, where your horse is just calm because they're in a calm environment, as opposed to the uh, the mm. connection being there, then when you go over to the show to the 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 ocean environment, it really is like, whoa, my horse went crazy. But actually, you know, actually it wasn't there in the beginning that just showed it to you that just showed you what's really going on so um a lot of the time people don't don't realize this and how important this is and even within a even within an arena you could have a pond lake ocean within one arena some some horses are scared of the back end of the arena right and this was something that like i really um Jonathan was great at always impressing this point. He's like, you know, find your little pond, find your little area in the arena. Maybe it's down in this corner where your horse is the most comfortable. Don't start in the ocean, start here, but do something there, you know, do, do things to help your horse get more connected. And then we'll sort of slowly bring it out to the, now we're swimming in the lake. And then eventually we get such a strong, connection and enough tools in our toolbox that we can go into ocean scenarios and still keep a keep a connection it's still hard for our horse we're still going to notice them going whoa i'm in the big ocean right now Mm -hmm. but we're there we're there together um so if this you know if this isn't if this is missed a lot what i see is it 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 breaks the confidence of the horse and the trust between the horse and the rider and and sometimes it's because we don't realize that we've we keep putting them in ocean settings right. and then our horse goes crazy and then we're like ah i feel i feel like i can't trust it and so so many lessons that i I teach or with my virtual group, I'll, if I'm trying to answer a question, I'm like, just start in their pen even. Like, where do you have somewhere you can start that you can find some success? And then take that out there. You know, start somewhere that it does work, right? We, you, you say that all the time. Like, mm-hmm. what can you do? Where does it work? And grow from there. And then when you think about things in that way, pond like ocean, pond like ocean, and you realize that the ocean is different for different horses, right? Yeah. So what my horse's ocean is might be easy for yours. And some horses have a real challenge with uh, chickens, you know, that's their ocean, right? <laughs> so it's different for each horse and that's okay. And it's going to change, but just recognizing, um, recognizing that there is that difference and that if you can go about things, thinking of it that way, even when you get to the show, even if the, if you've prepared, you'll go, okay, well, where do I need to start? Like if the ocean is the actual show ring, <laughs> mm-hmm. where can you go find your little pond, maybe by your horse trailer or by the warm up ring? And how can you have tools that you built at home 
to get connected there and build it out even within an, an hour one hour one day if you think of it that way it can really really help as opposed to jumping in the deep end as we say yep. right so yep. Yep. <laughs> that that lesson really is a, a big one for me and i i think it sounds really obvious but sometimes we miss it right yeah. sometimes we Especially miss under stressful horse. under stressful conditions you know that's a really nice pond lake ocean you know, and it's a nice quick thing to remember to go, oh, yeah, <laughs> I have some choices here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super cool. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Michelle. Yeah. How, how can people find Thank you? you. I, I know you've got some, you're doing clinics and you've got some virtual resources also and some, you know, that combine. Well, I'll let you tell about what what you offer yeah. and where people can find you. Yeah, so uh, first off, you can follow me on, on Facebook, uh, just Michelle Young Horsemanship, um, and Instagram, michelle.horsemanship. And uh, I do have a the website, michelleyounghorsemanship.com. And then I also have another website for my virtual group, which is called the Connected Horsemanship Community. So in there, I have lots of foundational videos and there's even a way to uh have my videos and the dressage naturally video classroom together if you're kind of wanting a blend of of both worlds um so that is connect the connected horsemanship community.com and there all the information there on uh what it's about uh you can find it on the websites for clinics uh, i am I am uh, doing a few clinics already around Canada this this year, but I am booking. I still have some spots for this fall and then into uh, into next year. So I am available for booking dressage naturally clinics or horsemanship uh, foundational horsemanship clinics. So you can find uh, my email and ways to contact me about that on my website. Thanks. And we'll, um, Michelle, make sure you send me all those links. So I have them right. And we'll add them mm -hmm. to the show notes. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can, or you can go to my website, dressagenaturally.net slash podcast and look up this episode and we'll have all the links, um, in there too. Thank you so much. So much good information yeah. in there. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I've had a great time. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Bye. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.